Hello and welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with these conversations that you'll hear on the show is to bring out the humanness of STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths. I myself grew up in a very STEMI household where we were always encouraged to be curious and ask loads of questions about the world around us. Maybe that's the reason why I went on to study mechanical engineering, a great subject for understanding how the world works. But by the end of my university days, I must say that I was able to mathematically model chaos, but it was only after university that life itself taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations sometimes not so little either. Life is truly messy, it doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and here on Innovation, I want to hear how other women in STEM deal with that. I want to hear their experiences, their strength, and their wisdom on life. This week, I talked to Ayo Shokala, who is a civil engineer. My name's Ayo, I'm a chartered civil engineer. I work at the Environment Agency as a project manager, but I'm also an elected local councillor at Reading Borough Council. What exactly do you do with your day job? So um, I work for the Environment Agency and what we do as an organisation is we make things better for people and wildlife. And primarily I work in flood and coastal risk management, but I also work in water resources. And that means as a project manager and engineer working on those projects, I work on those projects from the very inception when they have a mandate, a need for a project, to delivering those projects on a construction site where we've delivered an asset that reduces people's risk of flooding and protected that community. So everything that comes from that very need to completion, I get involved with from thinking about what the idea might be, what that solution might be, and working with stakeholders and people in the community to understand the issues that they're facing and how to best address it, and the source of flooding, the flood mechanisms, and working with specialists and experts all across the board, to looking at funding and writing the business cases and making the case for whatever solution that we've come about, and making sure that it makes sense for value to the public purse, but also that we have added benefits. It works strategically, economically, you know, in all ways, as well as more importantly now, sustainably in terms of carbon, but also a biodiversity net gain and adding that wider benefit so that, you know, our projects, you know, often they have construction, we have plants on site, we have vehicles bringing materials to site. We actually do produce quite a lot of um, carbon. How can we reduce that? How can we think about that from the very inception and throughout the whole life cycle? of the project and trying to make a, a difference and make things better. So how does what you do in your engineering job literally impact us on a daily basis? I think thinking about the schemes, I'll, I'll talk about my one of my projects I worked on, um, Tullway Flood Elation Scheme. Um, it was, the idea came about to do the scheme because the community there flooded really quite badly. And it took 10 years, there was a surface water management plan, flood forums, local councils, the environment agency, people work together to come up with a you know, series of flood defences that would reduce that risk of that community. And I worked on one of those. And in that, you know, it was a reservoir that was designed and built to reduce their risk of flooding. And then January, I think two years ago, it actually rained like crazy. And our asset was put to the test. And those communities that we designed and built this asset for were protected from flooding. 
And that is the real benefit of what we do. All these communities who are safe and can have that reassurance because flooding is not a pleasant experience. It's maybe leaving your home, evacuating and not being your for a long period of time, the stress, the trauma. It's not a small inconvenience. So being able to make that kind of impact on people's lives is huge. Oh, that's so awesome. And I can understand why engineering is such an attractive um, career path to pursue. But how did you get into it? Because there aren't many people like you in engineering. Oh, I always wanted to be an engineer I was one of those people who was quite lucky to know what they wanted to do at a very young age so I think I was about nine years old when I was like I'm going to be an engineer and (laughs) I basically pursued it doggedly since then because I had the you know the opportunity to, to witness what engineering can do I think so many people I guess we take so much for granted in the developed world you know our water comes out of our tap we don't give it a second thought um all of our infrastructure is pretty much developed our country is made and it's beautiful and we take it for granted but I got to live in a different country and experience infrastructure coming in and making things better and seeing the direct impact of it and wanting to be the kind of person who could like I felt it was almost like a godlike power to transform people's lives. I wanted to have a bit of that. I wanted to be the kind of person who could help people in that way. And I thought engineering is going to be one of the four first tools I'm going to try and acquire in life to try and make the world better. So that's why I was like, I'm going to be an engineer. Wow. And um, was there anyone that kind of inspired you into it? Because often, you know, if our parents are engineers, we might follow in their footsteps. Like, how did you go about getting into engineering? Um, I think once I had that moment, I'm quite a uh, really focused, maybe obsessive person about the things that I pursue. I'm really determined. And I was really like telling everyone this is what I wanted to do and communicating that. And that meant people were also meeting me where I was. So I had really great teachers who were like, oh, this is what she wants to do. Let's support her. So for my math teacher at primary school, who gave me additional work, it's like, because he thought that was going to help me, and it did, to be fair. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Mr. Tracy. (laughs) And then to secondary school, going in and having a great design technology teacher who asked me to come to the after-school club where I got to do more challenges. And then she put me forward for a WISE course, which is a woman in science and engineering. And then I spent a weekend in summer at Imperial London College where you look at all the different types of engineering and you get a sense of what they are. And then I did courses after that. I did Head Start. I did so many summer courses. My parents really supported all of this, taking me to all these different places and really obliging my obsessive interest. And then I did work experience with a great company who really gave me a lot of opportunities. And they let me just do stuff because I was really keen. I was like, I don't want to do just intern work. I want to do real stuff. And they let me. We went on sites. And I learned a lot. I asked a lot of questions. I was very nosy, very precocious, kind of annoying. But people obliged it. And they really, um, they helped feed my appetite, knowledge, and to pursue this path. So I had the passion. But really, people also met me and gave me more opportunities to grow learned so yeah it's been a a lot to people I can thank for that part of the journey actually. Were you ever aware that being a woman of colour in engineering would put you in a minority? Mm, I never well I never really thought about it when I was younger because I did grow up in a country where I was the ethnic majority (laughs) so that was a different experience but when I then moved to this country um, I was born here but I moved abroad and came back when I moved back I was the only black girl in my school or the first black girl in my class actually and that was the first time I started being aware of race and like I'm different and then I think when I 
wanted to pursue STEM at a high level, I started noting, I think when I was a lot older, maybe in my late teens, that it wasn't a, a necessarily a standard thing to do. There was a lot less you know, girls at these courses um, when we did the ones that were both boys and girls. And that's when I started noticing the difference. And then I think I was probably in my late teens by the time I actually started hearing people say things like, why not do something else? Or you considered this, or maybe this isn't for you. But at that point, I'd invested about 10 years of like, I'm going to do this. So I didn't care. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's something that I heard when I was a lot older, and I was a bit shocked, to be fair, because I thought, you know, engineering is people who are interested in solving problems. And anyone can solve problems, right? If you have the passion, and you're going to do the work, and you're going to work hard, and you care about people, that's what engineering needs. So I was surprised when people thought it wasn't people who looked like me, and people who thought like me, and were different like me. I was a bit surprised. <laughs> so is that how you've dealt with being different, just to ignore it? Hmm, it's a challenge, and it's an ongoing challenge, because obviously, as you grow and develop as a person, you change how you approach things. I think when I was uh about I don't know early 20s I think I would ignore things but I realized that diminishes you sometimes and sometimes it's okay to ignore things but I realized I was dwelling on thoughts and journaling about I, things that had happened people had said and moments I wish I used my own voice five years down the line it affected me so much it changed my personality I'd noticed I was becoming quieter more reticent I was becoming less of me actually I was becoming not myself. And I realized all these experiences were just chipping away at me. So uh, one of the things I did is actually started to take more personal responsibility. Because initially, when I spoke to mentors and people about this, and someone said personal responsibility, I'd always thought I was a kind of person already took as much responsibility as possible. But I realized there's another element that when you're in those moments, when you actually stop, and you pause and you speak up for yourself as calmly as you can and make it clear that is taking personal responsibility. In a way, I'd never really learned about it previously. I thought being nice is letting it go, making everyone feel uncomfortable. But actually, in making everyone feel uncomfortable, I diminished my own self. I changed. I dimmed my light. I became something that wasn't me. And that meant I couldn't bring my authentic, but also the very difference that I could add, the value in it, they didn't get to benefit from because I was now becoming quieter, scared, you know, reticent. So um, it's an ongoing journey, obviously. You constantly face challenges and you learn how to deal with them and to speak up, but only not just for yourself, but also you think about if I was, to, like I have a niece now, she was going to want to do STEM and want to work in engineering. Have I done a good enough job in making sure she doesn't face the same challenges? And then that gives me a little added need to actually advocate in a way that's appropriate, in a way that maybe at the start of my career, I didn't do. It's very, um, I let things go quite a lot. And sometimes I think maybe that wasn't always the right thing, but we live and we learn and we grow. And that's part of self-development. And that's part of being an engineer as well. You know, it's an iterative process when you design something. You look at the brief, what you're going to try and solve. You come up with the first idea and maybe you do a second take and a third pass and fourth pass and other people Q&A it. And then you get to the final, like, iteration. But life is that final iteration. So it's okay that I go through that process and I learn and I change and I adapt and I grow and I improve. And so can anyone else do. Whew, that is powerful. Really, really powerful. I feel quite emotional. <laughs> Um, a lot of people think that to get into engineering, they have to be really good at maths and physics and the sciences. Um, that can often lead people to maybe turn away 
from a career in engineering. What are your perspectives on that? I do think we do need the fundamental subjects. I, I, I can't say that we don't. I think it's really important. And especially in diversity and inclusion, I'm always careful to make sure that we never diminished competence because I think that will always cause issues long term with the backlash and the rise of all sorts of other unpleasantness so it's important that we have that and um, I think you know for some part of engineering it's absolutely necessary and I think that parts of engineering that maybe that that isn't necessary but I'm a civil engineer and I know that studying maths and physics were essential to, to the building blocks of structures and my I would not have been able to do my degree without that understanding so I can't diminish its, necess- its necessity but I think there's so much under the umbrella of engineering and STEM, that there's different ways of getting into it. And after all, my role now is, is managing the projects. And, you know, I think there are different ways to find a, a way for yourself if you want to still be the kind of person who delivers and adds the benefit that I know that we do and what I do. And there's other ways to come into it. Um, for example, you know, you can come into it. I know people study geography and come into it or study hydrology, studied all different subjects and found a way to you know, add value in this kind of sphere. So I, I don't think it should be limited to the pathways, but I think it should be authentic to what you're good at. I think at the end of the day, it's important that we consider what our natural skills are and then we can grow on them. But I think one of the things that I wish someone told me is, and asked me when I was younger is, what am I good at? And then what do I enjoy? And then what is a problem in the world that I really want to solve? And then looking at how those three things tessellate and not forgetting my natural inclinations because they're important. I think it's a sad, sad, sad thing when you work against your nature. So I think it's important to find out what your nature is. But I think in doing that, it's also important to make sure that you're telling yourself the right stories. I go into schools and I often hear this a lot. Kids say, I hate maths. And I'm like, okay, tell me about that. And actually they tell me that they had a time where someone asked them to come to the front of the class and do a maths puzzle. And they're traumatized by that failure or that shame or that incident they don't hate mass they had a bad experience of mass so how can we also make sure that the stories we tell ourselves about what we're good at and our natural skill sets are honest and true you know what are you actually good at what do you shine at what lights you up for me I was really lucky in some ways that you know what I don't even know if I'd be naturally good at mass if I didn't have the right people around me and that's really important to say so it's the stories you tell ourselves Mr Tracy gave me all these math puzzles and they practice math so often and when Literally, I practice math so often. On Friday nights, my parents used to watch a TV show, I think The Mentalist, and I'd lay on the sofa, um, on, well, on their feet. They'd, lay, they'd be sitting on the sofa, and I'd lay under on their feet, because I'm a bit of a cat. Where it's warm is where I'm going to be. And I'd sit there on my laptop doing my math puzzles. Now, if I didn't do the practice and the practice and the practice every Friday and every other time the whim took me, would I be as good as I am at those things, or would I be able to do what I did? Well, no. So I think sometimes you also got to check that we're doing the work and we're honest with ourselves. So it's really three things, just to boil that down, because I know I said a lot. It's an understanding that you have to work with your own natural inclinations and strengths, but you've got to be honest about what they are and make sure the stories you tell yourself are really true and they're not based on a bad incident doing maths in front of the class. Like that girl told me when I went into the school, <laughs> she said like she had to do a puzzle and she just couldn't do it. She couldn't think on the spot, but I don't think many people can think if they're brought to the front of the class in there, in there, in like, I don't know, as a teenager, I be, wouldn't like that very much, I can tell you that. And that would have given me a bad experience about maths. So she, was she bad at maths? Absolutely not. She had a bad experience and she'd let that consolidate by keep telling herself her story. But if she broke that story and actually decided she might be interested in maths, or she might actually like to explore it, and then she did some work around it, 
con- consistently, she would be able to do it. So it's really those three things. Align yourself with what you're good at and what you naturally like. Make sure that the stories that you tell yourself about what you're good at are true and honest. And maybe you can ask your friends and parents and loved ones to help you with this. And finally, you have to do some work around it as well. Like confidence comes from work, you know, gaining successful experience time and time again. And it starts from something small, like a habit I have about doing mass on Friday, sitting next to my parents on the sofa or at their feet on the floor. And doing that over time made sure that I could have the skills to pursue the career I have today. So. We often hear about things like self-doubt, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. What kind of negative stories have you had to rewrite for yourself? Oh, this is a good. Uh, everyone has all these stories. I have loads of these stories. Uh, loads of these stories. I, you know, I obviously thought, because I was really good at maths and science, but I thought, oh, maybe um, I'm a little bit weird. People may not like me and in groups I might not fit in. And I kept telling myself I might not fit in in groups. And obviously engineers work in groups all the time, which can create a barrier to something. You can start to think it's an issue. And I just started um, unraveling those beliefs like, actually, not that weird. We're all very different. We all like different things. And that's cool. And we all add value with our different perspectives. And I value mine as I value someone else. And I show other people grace and kindness. So it's okay that I expect that in return. And we act civilized and we work together professionally and nicely. And therefore, I'm allowed to have, you know, expectations about how you behave that's appropriate. And I'm allowed to remind them when they don't behave in a way that's appropriate. And they're allowed to also do the same to me. And I'm allowed to take feedback as well and actually open to grow and take that kindness, take that feedback as a kindness to help me develop further and find mentors and other people who can challenge me and make me become the better version of myself that I might want to explore. So that's just one example of a, of a belief I had. I was a bit weird and actually, no, you know, we're all different and that's really valuable. And, you know, every time picking those belief systems that you have and I'm picking them. And I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, we hear it a lot with women in STEM and especially diverse women in STEM because I think you get that intersectionality that makes it slightly challenging sometimes. I think, you know, maybe people don't hear you when you speak I often hear often in meetings especially now we have teams meetings I replay them because I record a lot of them now to help me um, um make notes and you know actions and I notice that maybe I said something and someone has repeated what I said and it's only been heard when they've said it and I know I'm quite clear at communicating it's a skill I worked very hard on so uh, I, then I, that might reinforce a belief that people don't hear me because of any of those things but instead of allowing that to own me and to change how I behave and diminish myself from wanting to be in the space I I take I take accountability and I also if I have to speak to someone and say I don't think it's appropriate or maybe you're not hearing me or taking tips by even watching that again about how I can actually address that in the meeting because now I'm aware that happens so I think there are lots of things but I think uh, when it comes to imposter syndrome it doesn't exist just because people feel that way. Sometimes they do have experiences that consolidates that belief system. And it's about what you do in those moments and you have to do something about it to challenge it. Um, I don't think you're listening to me here or actually I've just already said that verbatim and like nipping in the bud and making people clear about, you know, and owning your own power and actually empowering yourself because people don't give you power. At the end of the day, you have to take it. (laughs) And that's really important in those moments. We hear a lot. You know, women who are diverse or women who are not, they feel like their voice isn't being heard. They feel like maybe they're pretending and they're not as good as they are. But you are as good as you are. You know you are. If you listen to what you've done and you look at your CV, I'm sure you're more rigorous about 
what you're competent at than anyone else is. So you know you're good enough to be doing this role. So knowing that and being grounded in the competence you have, I now want you to have the confidence and empower yourself. And when those scenarios occur that diminish you and, you know, they further perpetuate that idea in your head, this little little devil in your head telling you you're imposter, you don't need to belong to be here, you can then nip it in the bud. And before you know it, that little devil in your head that feels you're an imposter, it diminishes. Each time you take power, each time you address the scenario head on, each time you use your voice, each time you stand up, and you make the world better for all the other women and all the other diverse people that come after you. But you also feel so much better as a result. And therefore, you will not be dwelling on it in 10 years' time. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, that takes an incredible amount of strength and courage to, to do what you've just described. Um, where does that courage and strength that you own come from? Oh, I don't know. <sighs> I, um, okay, I'll use another example. I'm autistic and I've only recently come out about it actually inspired by your words on your podcast. So thank you very much. I even referenced you in the article because, and that's the importance of what you, you know, you said, if you can share to make things better for other people and connect with other people and create communities, you should. And in those words, I shared that I'm autistic and this is, this is me. This is my element of diversity as well that I add to the world. But actually being different in the way I think meant actually growing up in school, I had to face a lot more bullying, maybe a lot less pleasant experiences. And that gave me a lot of resilience. I could have uh, I could have said no. If, if I could choose again, I probably would have, you know, I would choose not to be bullied and to have those less than pleasant experiences. But actually living them, growing through them and deciding, I won't let it make me bitter. I won't let it make me cruel. I won't let it make me cold. I won't let it make me not human and kind and not myself then I'm going to be strong. I'm going to choose to show up. I'm going to choose to make space for other people in the world. I'm going to choose to be the arm of friendship. If someone looks lost and different in a space, that's how I chose to take that experience to build resilience and to be the kind of person that I want to be. So my courage, my strength, it comes from some less than pleasant experiences growing up, but it's how I chose to rewrite the narrative. And instead of it making me something, how do I become who I want to be? And how do I make other people able to be who they are so that we can all contribute our zenith potential, make the world a better place? Mic drop. <laughs> like tearing up here. Um, you are amazing. Like you Thank are just such an amazing inspiration. And I kind of want to give you a hug right now. <laughs> if you give me a hug, I will cry. <laughs> and it's... I'm not a pretty crier. <laughs> I will. <laughs> well, it's happening right now. So uh, like, I'm, I just, thank you for your honesty. You know, it's so empowering to uh, be so vulnerable and be so honest in this conversation. Um, my my I already admired you but it's like just gone through the roof um because through adversity that you have faced you are so strong and so self-knowledgeable and as a result of really knowing who you are and having so much self-love you're able to just spread love and kindness through your work probably personally and it's just so empowered um thank you i'm i'm honestly in awe uh and i just um i don't know listening to you just makes me realize that 
anything is possible if you have the clarity to know what it is that you want to give to this world. And I just, I really, I really have heard your passion for engineering and I've really heard how much you have pursued your passion. Um, and I really hear about the service you're doing through your work. And, you know, for me, those are the signs of a true engineer solving problems for the benefit of other people. You possess all of this internal strength, but has there been like mentors or role models that have really helped you form who you want to be in your own skin? Oh God, yeah. I am a result of bazillion mentors. Maybe not a bazillion, (laughs) maybe a, a carefully selected few, but you know, I can't diminish their impact. In fact, even in the diversity and inclusion space, one of my mentors who made the biggest difference in shifting my perspective and helping me to accept my diversity very early on in just being a BAME person, actually, was um, actually the incoming president of the IC, Ed McCann. He was my mentor when I was still struggling to accept being BAME in spaces because I'd grown up in predominantly white spaces. And then I was in a construction site and... I think in my ability to really bring people alongside me and to understand them, I bring their beliefs and thoughts. I really listen, I hear. But in hearing their thoughts and giving it space, I realized their thoughts were hating of me and my existence. And in listening to them at the level that I did, I was starting to internalize that hate of me and my existence. So I was working with people on site who were like, you know, you're a good immigrant, but you know, like the other ones taking up space and all these brown spaces and things like that and telling me about right-wing rhetoric, recommending podcasts, books I should read. I read every single book. I listened to every single podcast. I obliged them to understand them, something that I always try to do. But I think that that journey, that level did some damage. And it took that mentor. I think we were walking along, I think the Thames. Yes, we just met for a mental session. We were walking and he was sharing there's important diversity, even people having different cultures. It means something. And when you work in different communities, understanding the challenges that makes a scheme work and not work is, is, you know, those success factors. You need diverse people who represent those communities. But I was working in this, in this particular group where people were saying these things and I was really listening and I was starting to internalize it. But obviously my mentor was a white man. And I, that's why I don't like people dismissing people in that way that also you hear on the in some elements of the diversity and inclusion because he was the person who could actually help draw me along on that journey because he was what they were but he wasn't them and he, he was kind and nurturing and it helped me accept myself and now I talk about diversity and inclusion today but actually without that conversation along that Thames that day in that session I wouldn't be able to I would not have accepted myself I don't know what would have happened if I carried on on that path of listening to that voice and trying to include everyone to the extent that I was uh, not including myself. So, um, you know, I can't take 100% credit. You have people who nudge you along the journey. They, they sow seeds and those seeds incubate and they, they germinate within you and they flower and everyone benefits from it later. But actually it's those mentors who, who take you along the journey when you quite can't see yourself and they love you and they coach you. And I've had so many of these mentors actually. I've been very blessed. I have mentors now who've really helped me accept other parts of me and use my own skill sets. Like I love to talk. But I really wanted to be just a technical engineer because I thought that's where people would value me the most. Because, you know, if I'm a woman in STEM, I've got to just be technical because I've got to prove all the stereotypes wrong. But I was diminishing a part of me that loves to share STEM in this way. 
And am I not a competent engineer? Of course I am. I'm chartered. Chartered in three years. I worked really hard at that. And I've proven that to them and me. But they also allowed me to say that I've got other skills and I'm allowed to use them. And I'm allowed to be flowery in my communication and my style. Because I had one um, work experience where they laughed at my dress sense. I like to wear colourful pants, pink, purple, green, name it. I have pants in that colour. I love colourful trousers. It's a thing. Um, and I started wearing muted colours. And I had a mentor, a female mentor, Claire, who told me, you know, it's allowed to be who you are. And she dresses brilliantly. She's a director where I work. And she wears bright pink fuchsia. And she's so brilliant. And she's so competent. But in her showing up in her style... In who she is, she also allowed me to show up in my natural style and who I am. So really, I'm a combination of some brilliant people who've allowed me to be me by them being them. So I have a lot of people to thank, actually. I really do. I've had a lot of mentors, and it's important to have mentors. And people who are very different from you as well. Because I have mentors all female. I have mentors all BAME. I have mentors all men. I have mentors all walks of life as well not just in my professional life but actually mentors in my political life mentors in all walks of life they stretch me and I grow and I I become more as a result that helping me expand so I really love mentorship and coaching and I mentor other people too I think you can do that at any stage as someone's giving you and you're growing as you're growing you're slightly ahead in the journey someone you mentor them along I've been doing that since I was even at uni and when I graduated, I picked up mentors who were undergraduates, helped them along, and now helping other people do their chartership. As long as you're also receiving and you're giving, that's beautiful. Just keep that balance. And it's good for you as well, because my mentees teach me a lot. And it's always, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So I could name a gazillion things just listening to you in this short hour. Um, but what would you consider to be your greatest superpower? I continuously learn and develop. It's the development. It's, it's the fact that I'm not attached to any version of myself or any narrative. It's that I'm constantly growing, expanding and becoming myself, whatever that is at any stage and that iteration. And in each iteration, I'm accepting myself that that's okay. This is a good version, um, but also unveiling the next version. So I'm constantly growing and developing and I'm obsessed with it. It's when I do my 5K in the morning, it's an audio book, it's the blinkers while I brush my teeth. It's everything. It's the journaling, it's the meditation, it's everything. I use every tool within my grasp to grow and develop and to become a better person so that I can help the world be better because I was here. And that's my obsession, developing. And if I can help other people develop too, that's ace. I'm winning on so many levels. But um, yeah, I think that's my superpower, learning and developing. Oh, that is beautiful. Um, what has been the most humbling experience you've ever had in life? Oh, hmm. this is a hard one. I, I don't think I have a, an immediate answer to this one. Because I feel like um, every scenario has the ability to humble you, to teach you something that you didn't know. And I feel like because I'm always wanting to learn from every scenario, as in there's just so much I'm aware I don't know. I have a list of my skills gaps in every single part of my life so I can be aware, so I can plug them in. I'm always ready to learn and to grow. Um, so what's been the most humbling? Maybe politics. I thought that I, as a very young person, knew how to change the world. And I think a lot of young people think they know how to change the world. And I became part of a system, I got elected. And then I realized that you need to understand the system to change it. 
you need to actually give credit to people who've been in a system for a long time. Systems have flaws, absolutely. But from the outside, you cannot know the constraints, the, the things that they have to, you know, manage, the budget constraints, the multiple um, stakeholders that they're thinking about while they're making decisions. I, I would look at people who made decisions in politics and in government and say, well, this could be done like this. You know, and that youthful naivety that, you know, we can solve the world problem so easily. And I think I got into it and I saw the complexity and the gravitas that it, of mind that it took to um, look at everything and not to be overwhelmed by how bleak it looks, but to find a solution within it and make that decision and be ready to be disliked for that decision because you can't please all parties in a limited budget and constraints and in a limited world in the way that we manage things you know some things energy is limitless but the way our world processes and works we have limited resources and with those limited resources you know making those decisions don't please everyone and as a young person I thought I'm going to use this tool as my next tool I'm an engineer but I want to use politics as a tool to make the world better I want to be in that space and add more value you know and I thought I had a lot of answers and I've been humbled by learning my people who've been in those spaces for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, who've been public servants and learned that the constraints are greater than I could ever imagine. And the solution is never simple. And the devil's in the detail. And it's all about the nuance. And it's changed me from being an activist to being someone who is more pragmatic and understanding of the complexity of the world. The same way I have that understanding as an engineer, very various factors that are involved in the project, I've been able to take that to the wider world as large and change my approach. And hopefully that maturing as well will serve me to help other people in different ways and to grow and develop, and maybe be better in that avenue as well in the future. So that's been the most humbling in a very, very honest answer. I must say it's so humbling talking to you today um, because my favorite definition of humility is the ability to remain teachable. And I feel like I've learned so much from you. So, you know, it's, it's humbling just to, to speak with you. But on that note, what's your relationship with failure? I'm okay with it. It's part of the process. I'm okay with it. I have to fail to learn sometimes. It's part of the process. If I try to avoid failure, then I wouldn't do things. And the thing is, I do things. <laughs> I put my hand up first to volunteer to do things. I'm the one who tries things first. I throw my hat in the ring to have a go. Because if you don't, you don't know what you'll miss the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to learn and to become something new. And I'm always interested in that something new that I can become. But that means that you have to be ready to fail. You've got to be okay with it. You've got to be okay with like... The first time you get on stage and you speak to a big bunch of people, you've got to be okay that you dry up, that you get scared, that your heart beats so fast you can't hear your voice. You've got to be okay with that level of failure, like cataclysmic tanking, because that's how you live big and you do big things and you grow and expand. When someone says to you, you know, do you want to run? Do you want to do this? You have to say, yes, I'm going to, I have an urge to do it. The desire is there and I want to serve, but Maybe I don't have all the skills yet, but I will learn them. I will do the work, but I will be ready to fail and to be gracious in my failure and to take it on and not see it as a, a reflection of me because I think that's one of the sad things about failure and why I think so many people struggle with it is that we see it as a reflection of our value and who we are, but it's not. You know, you, you, we're all valuable 
every one of us, even if we add no value by being useful to the world. We can choose not to you know, harness any gifts within us or harness any desires within us to try and make the world better. Of course, we can choose to do nothing and we're valuable. Humans are valuable inherently. But I think we're so attached to our value being success and utility and that when we fail, it feels like a personal attack. It destroys our very sense of self. But it's all about growing and you've got to do things and they're going to be scary, but that's how you grow and you change. And that's not a reflection of you. That's just an reflection that you you tried. And that is what I value, that I try. And I'm always trying and I'm always growing. And if that means there will be failure, then I get to go back to the drawing board. I get to journal about it. I get to analyze my performance. I get to speak to my mentors and coach coaches and say, what did I do wrong? How can I be better in the future? What lesson am I missing here? What was a key ingredient missing from this that made this a failure today, but that if I do right in the future, will make this a success? And that's it. It's a difference. It's a being ready to grow and ready to fail. So failure is okay. I'm going to fail sometimes. It's kind of part of the part. It's part of being human. I'm okay with that. So you being in engineering, um, what are your perspectives on equality, diversity and inclusion, ED&I? Why do we... Why is it so essential in engineering? Why are we all banging on about it? You know, you have firsthand experience being you in engineering. Do we need to focus on ED&I? And how, if so, how do we do it? I think we do need to focus on something if we think that we want something. Like, um, like when I speak with kids and I go into schools, or not young people, actually, because I think young people are really good at this. They have to focus on what they want to do next. They need to pick their options for GCSE. They need to pick their A-levels or they need to pick what trajectory they're following. Is it a VTAC? What, what they're doing next? When you're young, you have to focus on what you want to make it happen. You have to make decisions that reflect the thing that you want. So you know clearly that if you say that you want something and you value it, then your actions have got to reflect it. When you're young and you're very much creating your life in the very infancy, and it's a blank slate, you know that you have to know what you value, make actions and reflect it and do that consistently. And it's no different with EDI. We know that we value different minds, different skills, different lived experiences, difference, because it collectively plugs in gaps and gives us something that's whole. So we value that. So just like a young person shaping their life, we're shaping society, we're shaping our industry, we're shaping the built environment, then we've got to make decisions that reflect that. And that means you focus on it, you give it energy, you make the right calls at the right time. And you know, like a young person makes a decision, I'm not going to go out with my friend today because I got my GCSE exam tomorrow. Then the EDI decision is, we say that we value diversity. Um, are we doing the right actions? If we make this decision today as a quick win or as a tick box exercise, does that justify our, um, our long-term goals for tomorrow and the future? And it's the same thing. I like that analogy because I think um, when you're young and your whole life is fresh, fresh before your eyes, every decision matters. And with EDI, like it's so important because it's shaping the world around us. It's just like, because it's a very new thing to actually really be working at the level that I think we're paying attention to it. And therefore we've got a, a drawing board that's pretty empty. And we've got to be really careful that every decision reflects the value, the thing that we value, equality, diversity, and inclusion. So our decisions constantly 
adding to that picture that we want, that vision of like that goal, is it the GCSEs, the A-levels, to be an engineer in STEM, to be chartered, whatever goals that you have, your actions reflect that. Our goals is equality, division, and diversity and inclusion. Then do our actions consistently reflect that in everything we do? And do we understand the consequences of doing and not doing something? Same way a young person knows, I've got an exam tomorrow, I can't go out, I can't play video games late, I've got to make a different decision. Do we understand those decisions in that same way? I think we've got to think about it in that way and it makes it much clearer and it makes it less of should we be doing this and what should we be doing as we want this, we do this. It's clear, it's simple. There's no, there's no argument to be had. It's quite clear in that way. Io, you are just such a powerhouse of inspiration and you're an amazing example and role model and just lovely person. Like, I just feel like I want to sort of go for coffee and let's do it and things like that. Like, it's just been such an absolute pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and hearing all your wisdom. Um, you know, I wish you every success with what you're doing because you really are exceptionally incredible um and remarkable and thank you so much for talking with us today and I wish you all the best going forward thank you that was really kind and I really enjoyed talking to you too you know the conversation ended but after I stopped recording for the podcast we went on to chat a little bit more and as always in talking to Io, the conversation was so sumptuous and rich. So I've included those clips as well. The conversation continues. The idea of thinking about it as an energy in the person, being able to show up as themselves, like there's some men who are, you know, more feminine in their demeanor and their aesthetics and their style. Uh, but if they're not able to show up as themselves, then they're not adding their like authentic value. And it actually takes a lot of energy to be someone else. I know that. I used to spend a lot of time trying to be someone else. It takes a lot of energy to do that. Um, and that means they're not actually like directing the energy towards any useful pursuit for themselves or anyone else. But I think in doing that, you to be yourself and to, if you're a masculine man who, um, if you're a man who's less masculine and more feminine, you can't be feminine because the world doesn't value the feminine. So that's why we've got to bring it back up to being valued and seeing its intricacies and the energy, but less from the gendered perspective, but from the energy perspective. Like there's a, it's an energetic difference. Like I dance, I do partner dancing, and it's a very energetic difference. I follow, you need the routines, but I'm, I style it, I make it look good. Like there's a difference to it. And in dancing, uh, the male lead doesn't ever think that he could do it by himself because that's not a dance. And the female lead certainly doesn't think she could do it by herself because that's not a dance. But together, because of dancing, you value it. And I think it's dancing, it's the best explanation. It helps you really learn that it's an energetic thing, that it's not necessarily that just because you're a man, you're like thing or you're a woman. It's like, because I know women who are the best leads and they do the leading. And I know women who you know, play, play different roles and men who do the opposite as well. So it's really valuable to understand that, but you've got to value something to allow yourself to even want to be closer to it. And if you're allowed to be that, then you, it changes everything. 
Thanks for listening this week. Please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series, Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.